And welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. Are you dreaming of a vacation somewhere on a beautiful island with crystal clear water and rainbow-colored fish swimming around your ankles? But time or finances or both are a little bit of a concern? Don't fret. An Organic Conversation has the solution. If you can't go there, why not bring the tropics to you? In this hour, we're exploring the world of tropical fruit. Mango, passion fruit, guava, pineapple, coconut, cherimoya, dragon fruit, anyone? Fill up your bathtub and dive into the world of tropical fruit with us today. What you can find this time of the year, how to pick the best ones, how to store them at home, and what to do with them. With an expert on all things produce, of course, Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, who's joining us today here live in the studio. What's in season? Tropical fruits. Our topic today on An Organic Conversation, and we are your hosts, Helga Hilbert. And Sitarani Palomar. This is going to be a delicious hour, that's for sure. <laughs> I think that with this topic, you know, there's so much talked about eating locally and with your season. And if you don't live in the tropics, then how do you ever get to enjoy tropical fruits? And actually, tropical fruits have a season, a season where we enjoy them in non-tropical areas, and we're going to dive into that today. So I'm really looking forward to kind of taking some of the guilt out of out of eating, not with the seasons or not within a certain... Well, not with our season, but yeah. with another season. Yeah, <laughs> but really more, you know, this season within your 100-mile radius or whatever you define as your local radius. Yeah, you know, tropical fruits, just like coffee and chocolate and tea, mm. there's a cultural exchange. And it's I think it's wonderful. It's as beautiful as eating locally for most of your food needs to have a tea from the Huangchen region that is that you know was grown and, and raised by a family and harvested. And just as with that, if you have a tropical fruit that you know, uh, maybe not the grower necessarily, but where it really came from, I think it's just a, another level of connection that we actually do have. We just need to really embrace it and, and find out more about it. Did you just make up that region in China? You looked that one up. But I want to talk about the week's review, <laughs> which is World Wetlands Day. February 2nd was the World Wetlands Day. It's each year. It started in 1971 in the Iranian city of Ramsar, on the shores of the Caspian Sea, and I did not know about it. Mm. I've never heard about it. It's amazing. I'm, I'm kind of between why did I not hear that boat coming or why does normal, normal quote-unquote, commercial media do not cover those mm -hmm. things. It's amazing to me that 1971, that's basically as long as I've been around, I've never heard of a World Wetlands Day. Well, yes. I have to admit that I had to go and look up exactly what that meant, wetlands. You know, because I, I've we talk about watersheds, we talk about food sheds, we talk about fiber sheds, and I thought, well, I think I know what this is, but what does this actually mean? So I went and did some research, and it is exactly as it sounds. The wetlands areas are the areas of land that have been saturated with water, whether it's permanent saturation or seasonal saturation. And they do so much for our ecosystem. They're completely crucial to or our ecosystem. tidal saturation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but the idea is like, you Incredible. know, they're, they're helping to 
maintain the soil health and they purify the water and they regulate floods by having, you know, shoreline sustainability and the nutrient cycle and biodiversity. I mean, so many essential pieces of our ecosystem are affected by the health of our wetlands. And and I I feel like without an awareness of that, they oftentimes get used as wastelands instead of yeah, it's wetlands. it's one of the most important ecosystems that we have. Uh, if you look at where where fish have their schools that they nurse to raise, where um, as you said, you know, protecting the the mainland really from flooding and pollutant removal from the water, which then makes it much easier for water treatment facilities to do their work. And so if we didn't have that, life would actually be difficult. It's so extreme that they are saying that the Mississippi River Delta ecosystem alone, just the Mississippi River Delta ecosystem, provides roughly about 12 to almost $50 billion in benefits to the people of that region every year. And that's from freshwater, groundwater, wildlife, habitat, you know, schools for fish, for the aquamarine culture there, the the fisheries. It's it has so many important recreational and cultural functions for that region much beyond the water itself. That, you know, we've seen the other side. Germany and much of Europe had a flood in the summer of 2013, um, a couple of years ago. Nothing I've ever seen before. And I had seen many storm floods before in Hamburg, but many regions of Germany had twenty foot of water in the cities. And the damage was trillions of dollars. It was basically half of Europe was flooded because in part of mismanagement of some water storage areas, they, they were saying, and to a large degree, because wetlands were not honored enough and many big rivers, the Seine, the Elbe, the Mosul, the Rhine River, they don't have the normal areas to flood into when they rise, when the water level rises. There are dams that have been built. So it's really, it's our doing and... I think this is such a wonderful reminder, World Wetland Day every year in February. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that, if, that if it were a little bit more talked about, and hopefully that will change, at least with us for next year, we'll be talking about it in advance, is for you to find a, a wetlands in your area and go give it some love. Is it degrading? Are you losing the land? Can you just go and clean up some of the litter that's been there. If everybody did that on World Wetlands Day, we would see a dramatic improvement. That's such a great idea. Okay, so our executive producer, Kristen Parger, note, I'm sure she will find an amazing guest. Why don't we tackle next February a World Wetland Day expert show? Sounds Talk about me. the importance of wetlands around the world. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Sita, for that. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sita Rani Palmer. And our topic in this hour is the vacation you can't take but bring home. It's tropical fruit, what's in season, with the man himself, who's the expert on all things produce and uh, fruits and vegetables, including tropicals, actually. So that and more, an entire hour on tropical fruit. But before we dive into that topic fully, as always, is Sitarani Palomar with an update from what's going on in the world of health and beauty, a.k.a. Chef Sita and her holistic bite. Well, all of this talk about tropicals and bringing the tropics home to you and Helga saying, why don't you fill up your bathtub and eat a mango, got me thinking about why don't you make a coconut oil body scrub? 
thinking about warm weather and bringing that scent into your life. And it really isn't too early, I suppose, to start thinking about sandy beaches and lighter clothing and maybe polishing your skin to get ready for that time of year. So, you know, body scrubs have a whole host of benefits. They're they're great for minimizing fine lines and wrinkles, reducing pigmentation on your skin, preventing breakouts, general body detox. Um, they improve the oxygenation and the circulation in your body. And they're so easy to put together yourself. It's another one of those things you don't need to go out and spend 12 or $20 on. And I use a combination of sugar, which is a really gentle way to polish your skin by removing the dry and the dull skin cells, and coconut oil, which is such a wonderful topical healing agent. And then a little bit of honey. And honey is both antibacterial and hydrating, which means that it's really great to use on your skin. And there are so many things to read about the, the benefits of using honey on your skin in traditional cultures that have done it for thousands of years. So here is a little recipe for coconut body scrub. You can find this recipe on our site. You combine some not too coarse sugar. You can use unrefined cane sugar because it's the smaller it is, the less it's going to tear your skin. So use a little bit of sugar and then about two tablespoons of coconut oil and two tablespoons of almond oil. Because if you use all coconut oil, there's a chance that as it gets chilly or sitting on your porcelain bathtub, it may get solid. It'll be a little bit harder to take out. You could use all coconut oil if you wanted, but you could also cut it half and half. And then... Add two tablespoons of honey as well, and then you can start playing around with your scents. I really like, especially for this island theme, tropical theme, to do a combination of grapefruit and cinnamon and sandalwood. There's something about that that seems very exotic. The sandalwood and the cinnamon thinks, I don't know, it's just a nice combination with the the natural coconut fragrance of your coconut oil. And then once you have this put together, a mild exfoliation practice of a couple times a week is really simple to put into practice. If you have a little jar of this on your bathtub, you can take a small handful and scrub your arms and scrub your legs. And it's just, it's very, it's, your skin will feel extra soft afterwards, not just because of the exfoliation product, but because all of the nutrients and smoothing and silkening agents that, that are in there, the honey and the coconut oil. So play around with scents, get in the mood for swimsuit weather and uh, make yourself a homemade body scrub. That's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. That makes perfect sense, actually, to me. Yeah. And once again, it's amazing. The ingredients are pennies on the dollar, right? <laughs> if you bought something like that, you could easily spend, uh, I actually don't know, $20, 30 $40, At I would least, assume. Yeah. yeah. I mean, $20 is pretty average for a, a high-quality, well-scented, yeah. organic body scrub. $20 is easy, sometimes 45 or 50 And if you make one of those yourself, the ones that you just recommended, what, what would that come to? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be less than $5. You use... Two, like I said, two tablespoons of honey, a quarter cup of oil. So that's like, you know, your coconut oil or a couple tablespoons of olive oil. If you have it in the cabinet, use olive oil instead of almond oil. And then a cup of raw sugar. I mean, this is not a lot. It's, it's hardly going to break the bank. Also makes a great gift. Oh, it's a great gift. Wonderful. It's a really nice Wonderful. gift. And then, you know, like I said, you can play around with the different scent combinations of essential oils and, and use masculine scents if you're giving it to, to a man in your life. Use some vetiver and some orange extract. I also really like to put orange peel and lemon peel, different citrus peels, because they're also good exfoliants and mm-hmm. they they have lots of there are lots of nutrients that are in the in the pith and the peel of a of a piece of citrus that you would benefit from too. Vetiver, thank you. That's Cita's holistic <laughs> bite.
with um, Chef Sita. Thanks for that. What's in season is coming now. Tropical fruits. If you have filled your bathtub, this is the time to dive into the world of tropical fruit with us today, an entire hour with the expert on the matter, all things produce, of course, Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, who's joining us today here live in the studio. That and more when we come back in just a minute. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. In this hour, we are exploring the world of tropical fruit. Mango, passion fruit, guava, pineapple, coconut, cherimoya, dragon fruit. This is the time to enjoy most of them because there is a season, even though it seems like the tropics have a year-round season. Not quite so. How to pick them, how to choose them, what to do with them, how to store them at home, how to enjoy them best, all that with a produce expert. Of course, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, who's joining us today here live in the studio with us, Earl Herrick. Earl, welcome. Uh, it's great, <laughs> great to be here. And uh, I was just here last week, a little cameo appearance. And, and to be here uh, for the whole hour is, is a real pleasure. I'm, I'm looking yes. forward to it. Pleasure for us, too. It's a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Tropical fruits, you usually deal with very, very seasonal, you know, almost by the week kind of items. Uh, yeah. you're, you work with growers from... 50 miles away from San Francisco and a couple hundred miles away, maybe a thousand miles away. Mm -hmm. Really anything that the season, the best of the season throughout produce from A to Z, really apples to zucchini. Tropicals seem to be its own whole family, its own niche. Um, yeah. How do you how do you how do you deal with that? How do you separate yeah. a, a product that comes in sometimes even half around the world from mm -hmm. the daily Brussels sprouts and the broccoli in your operation? Like, don't yeah. they need like a completely different <laughs> nurse and hand holding? In, in a way, they do, and uh, I think the the biggest challenge is to really wrap your mind around it because uh, you you know it's not really easy to go to a mango farm. Uh, you know, to uh, uh, banana plantations. So a couple of my, my employees have, uh, you know, as you were saying, uh, accessing food from, you know, the neighbor to uh, down in Mexico and, and Southern California, you can visit that. It's familiar to you. It's not a big stretch in your imagination. They're not some foreign plants. Though there are, and there are seasons in, in the tropical uh, world. What, what happens is that we fill it in because the tropics has this, is this wonderful Central America and Ecuadorian uh, belt. belt yeah. Thank uh -huh. you. And they, they have the seasons within themselves. So you, for mangoes, you may start in Brazil, then go up to Ecuador and, and further up north. So 
it doesn't look like it has a season, but you're, they're all overlapping. So yeah, it's it, very it, interesting. When, when we think of tropics, most people think blue sky, a little bit of tropical wind, <laughs> and 365 days, kind of the same weather with maybe two degrees variance. Yeah. Not so. They have storms. Yeah. They have a rainy season that can oh. last for four months of almost torrential downfall every day. Yeah, It's really, um, you know, the seasons look maybe very, very different to ours and maybe only have a few degrees in temperature variance, but um, it makes a big difference in the production of tropical fruit, especially for export. Well, you have a couple of uh, components that are, are, are really uh, challenging. That's heat and rain. And, and they're both in abundance. And there are occasions where there's excess rain and they cause their own unique problems. So let's talk about what we are getting from these very unique climates. When we say tropics, what do you yeah, think end of? end of February. What comes to mind? What do you see in, the, in, in your... Oh, I think body polish. Uh, really, uh, <laughs> I, I just have to say that I think there is a is a season for that. Um, well, right now we're enjoying the last part of February, and and then, you know a lot of times we get a lot of different weather here. We can be storm and rainy and, and very chilly. It can be absolutely like we've had the last couple of years a drought and and some relatively well. It's beautiful weather, but maybe it's not exactly what we want. Right now. There is a full force of, of, of pretty much everything, the, some of the things you were naming. Uh, but the, the, the major things that we deal with would be mangoes, pineapples, bananas. We get a, a, a smattering of cherimoya. That's a very time sensitive. That has its own season because mostly because not, it's not grown a lot commercially. But really the tropical season, even though much can be compensated year-round, is November, December to February, March, April, maybe, right? Is yeah. that generally speaking yes. the most productive? Yeah. For example, yeah. cherimoya season is right now, but it could be more if it was grown in different areas mm. that are mm-hmm. accessible sure. to us. And where we're getting them right now is the Santa Barbara area, which is a phenomenal eco-climate within itself. It grows, I think you can grow anything in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of guys that grow little bananas, and uh, but their season is really pretty much, uh, I think, February through April. This is part of what's so fun about speaking with Earl. I love, 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 love speaking with farmers. And farmers are really, you know, it's what they farm very specifically. That's their expertise. Earl works with all the farmers. So he's talking about all of the fruits and vegetables. And it gives you just such a variety of understanding of flavor and texture and season and really fun for you to say, yeah, yeah, we've got guys growing bananas and then we've got cherimoyas in this place. And it's yeah, you're, just... You're kind of the central intelligence agency of produce. Totally. Like everything comes together to you, the wholesaler who knows every farm, every micro region and how it all looks across the country and far beyond really across the world at, at every day of the year. That is the advantage of being a wholesaler, absolutely, and and that and it's our job as a wholesaler to to uh, create that value, and so information, you know, visiting uh, and and documenting and sharing it. The websites are great stuff, and with uh, social media now, you get the, you get a lot of information out there. And when we talk about bananas, for example, growing them wherever, you know, in 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 Peru or even further, wherever you. You may ban- get bananas from right now, or you were saying Mexico. But mm-hmm. um, the further something is grown, the longer it will ship, and the more it will ship in a way, and that brings a whole host of problems in itself. Right? You were hit yeah. by a strike at the produce dock in L.A. Where well, well it's actually the, yeah, it's actually the whole West Coast. There's just a, a slowdown, and you know you get involved in unions and teamsters. It's incredibly complicated. Nothing that. And we're just customers, so you're just sitting around, and it's just not us. Everybody, we're talking about furniture, 
the whole deal. So, and we were at, uh, at that point, this is several months ago, first turn of the year, we were uh, accessing product from Ecuador and Peru. And we, f- we saw the need to get uh, a product, bananas, that did not rely on water shipment being tied up at the dock. So we're accessing bananas now from Mexico, which are trucked up. Oh. Gotcha. Makes yeah. up, you know, makes sense. Sure. And the other benefit of that, right, truckers can strike too, but it's much, it's much easier to send another truck and pick it up or whatever right, pre- you need to precisely. do. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Though there, exactly. There's, there's inherent <laughs> issues everywhere you go. Sure. But and we feel the Mexican banana is going to be interesting because rather than being on the water from Ecuador for three weeks, this is being trucked up here in a maximum of a week. Mm. So the product can be picked perhaps a little riper. We don't hang on to it as long Which either. More flavor. Exactly. So I think it, it all translates into uh, better opportunities. We're still working it out. That's one of the things with tropicals. It, it, it demands you to be inquisitive on. and explore. Mm. Yeah, and be on. I mean, yeah. if you know there's a harbor strike down in LA or wherever, you know, furniture can sit on a boat. Not, not that it, it's not hurting the owner or the, the person who wants to sell it, but tropical sitting on a boat for four weeks, I don't know what the value is left. <laughs> yeah, they, they have, you know, yeah. Even yeah, in suspended animation or cooled facilities, four weeks on a boat is just too long after three weeks of shipping. Yeah, and the main thing that happens is it may come off the, the dock looking all right, but it's going to act different. Disintegrate in It's going to act days. entirely yeah. different after uh, after a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about bananas coming from Mexico. We talked last week about um, avocado coming from Mexico and mm-hmm. some avocado coming from California. We're getting into mm-hmm. that crop, too. You were also talking about cherimoyas yeah. in, in Santa Barbara, California. What else? You said mangoes earlier. I didn't catch a region. Where are we getting mangoes right now? And you're listening, of course, to an organic conversation. Just a quick show ID. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm C. Rani Palomar. Our topic, tropicals, tropical fruit, an entire hour with Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce on what we can expect in the marketplace right now on the tropical side. So, mangoes. Uh, mangoes. Yeah, mangoes are, oh, they're, they're incredible. I think that is the one fruit that has an incredible upside for uh uh, growth in consumption in, in America. Comparative, comparative around the world, it's a fraction of what everybody else consumes. I think a lot of that has to do with it's, it's, it's different and people aren't sure what to do with it. And also, I think when they've been introduced, perhaps when they travel, they went right off the tree in India, perhaps, or South America, and it has a completely different profile right off a tree. Mm. I mean, it's exquisite. It's mind-blowing. It's it's sweet and flowery oh, and it's, so juicy. Yes, yeah, so much nuance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you buy one from a store. Yeah. Uh, how how do you know flat. if it's ripe? You don't know, and, and generally they're not, and, and it doesn't give you anything. So you go, ah, forget mangoes. So... Huge gro- uh, growth opportunity. Uh, so it's about education uh, on the retail side and the consumer. So where we're getting them right now is um, out of Peru, and we just finished the Ecuadorian season. And now we're going to move into Mexico for at least us. Mexico produces the most mangoes for our consumption. Now, what kind of mangoes are we talking about? Because there are so many different varieties. There are yeah. Keep mangoes. There are Tommy Atkins. There the, are Altolfo. There's Kent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and there's even a, a Hayden. Well, generally speaking, those are the four varieties, the Keith, the Kent, Hayden, uh, Atafos are, are hard to come by. Mm-hmm. They're very they're re- very regional specific. That's the tiny yellow ones. Right? Yeah, yeah, which are also known as vanilla or manila. And those are so exquisite. Very small little uh, pit inside. You get a lot of fruit. And every one has their own uh, issues. Uh, so I think... Again, part of the growth is getting more people growing them, getting them educated in terms of how to handle them, 
prior to shipment and how we deal with them on our end. So the the normal red big like coconut size almost. Um, that, yeah, that's a you like those big. That's ones. a Tommy Atkins, right? That that generally is the Tommy Atkins are quite large. There, there's a couple processes. They have to be they have to be dealt with with a with a hot bath, you know, to get the host of the product off. Uh, you know, uh, insect. Possibility, so they're actually dipped in a hot water bath. That's what mangoes are. When you harvest them, and when you harvest them to be able to export them. So one of the difficulties that that are is present is that the hot water bath is is a medium that, that they dip all these different sizes in. So they kind of make a. Uh, a medium temperature that is good for a certain size. So anything smaller than that, it's too hot and it damages the mango. And anything bigger than that, it doesn't quite do the job. So the damage that might be relevant, what we would see would be when you cut it, it turns black. You've probably seen that wow, yes. with really? mango. That means it probably got too hot, but you don't know that. It literally got cooked. It actually, yeah, it literally got cooked. And that generally happens on the smaller pieces of fruit. And also, uh, when you see the piece of fruit on the stem side, the stem is sometimes shrunken. That's another result of, uh -huh. of improper handling on that end. So as those things mature and get and better handling gets to be understood, I think those problems are going to, uh, we're going to see less. We're going to get a higher quality mango. Everybody, the end user is going to have a better experience. I mean, we know how wonderful mangoes are. And if we knew we could get a good one all the time, we'd be eating a lot more, I think. I mean, your job is in large part is quality control, right? How, Absolutely. How do you know if a shipment of mango comes in and and f from wherever, yeah. um, you know, past Mexico even, that they were treated correctly if, if that behavior would start mm -hmm. a week later in the mm -hmm. store? Like, yeah. how do you? Yeah, you, th you don't. Quite honestly, it's what you do, you get the product and there's about 200 or 300 on a pallet. They're fairly small cases. You get anywhere from six to 12 in a case. And we cut a bunch of them. We take the temperatures, see how cold they are. We don't want them too cold. Uh, and then we cut it randomly throughout the pallet. And the grower, right? Knowing the grower and having a long-standing yeah, exactly. years, years and years of relationships that you can yeah, trust them. Yeah, that's very key. Um, and then, and then, even then, that's not a certain thing. We we can go through and cut some that are beautiful. We send them out, and we get a picture back. Wow, they're cutting black. So the, uh, it's it's a great growth opportunity for people to learn about it and and to grow the that whole category. That's fascinating. It is. Wow. We are speaking with Earl Herrick on the intricacies of tropical fruit, <laughs> pineapple, passion fruit, guava. We just talked about mango, um, a little bit on bananas and. Uh, when we come back, we want to hear about how to pick one correctly and can you ripen them at home and, um, you know, how to store them best so that if you spend three, four, five, six dollars on a nice piece of tropical fruit that they don't turn bad or black within a couple of days. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm C.T. Ronnie Palmer. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. 
Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we're taking a tropical vacation here in this hour on the air, so to say, with the expert on all things produce, of course, Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, who is joining us today here live in this hour in the studio this hour on tropical fruits. What's in season? An entire hour dedicated to tropicals. Earl, you were just talking about mangoes, and just to finish that up, when we talk about the intricacies and problems of proper harvesting and post-harvest handling, you brought a little map of Mexico really starting at the border of Guatemala where mangoes are harvested between usually between February and April, of course, depending on the season and the weather. And then they, they literally walk up the coast, so to say, walk up through Mexico, March, June, the Mikoacan area, then mm-hmm. yeah, then May, July, kind of central Mexico, and then almost to the La Paz, Big Sur level in, in June and August. So as the areas there get hotter, the mango follows, of course. Yeah, right? and the closer they are to the United States, they're out of certain bug regions oh. or fungus regions. So they don't have to be hot dipped. And so they're, they're left in the tree longer. They're closer to the end user so they can pick be picked riper. So as the year goes on, think summertime, you're going to get your best mango because it's closer and they're out of those regions. And, th- and those months you were talking about, they vary a lot year to year depending on how much rain there is and, and whatever. Now, the, the, the other season that follows that is the California mango season, which is out of the desert. It's the Keet, K-E-I-T-T, and that is a fantastic mango. They're gigantic. They don't really turn much color blush. They're kind of a green, light green. Their flesh is silky smooth. They're very large. They can be expensive, but if you want a good mango experience, that's the best place to start. You'll see that product in the fall of the year, late summer, fall. And we were talking um, before the show just a little bit of how growing regions are changing. You've been in this for 30 years plus. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that now tropical or subtropical fruit like cherimoya are actually grown domestically. Now you're saying mango. Maybe that was the case 20 years ago, but it seems that really in, in the last six, eight, ten years, as weather has changed too, domestic growers, Texas, Florida, Southern California, are mm-hmm. trying varieties that you would have never expected to be grown here in the U.S. Well, yeah, absolutely. For example, that mango is a good good example coming out of the desert. Now I'm seeing uh, cherimoyas out of Santa Barbara, uh, guavas a little south of that. There's also passion fruit. So there's certain areas, whether you're on the side of a mountain, you get in southern exposure, you have a, a, a certain place that bingo, just that microclimate. And people are getting inquisitive. They're trying to find niche niche markets. Sure. And so they 
you know, put a couple acres of trees in and see what happens. And that's how small you still work with, with growers, oh, yeah. right? Even as a wholesaler, if they have a couple acres of passion fruit, well, there's one all over it. We were talking about uh, the uh, <laughs> dragon fruit. Dragon fruit, thank you. That this guy, that gentleman actually got uh, the local university come up and do an experimental plot because you have to drape them. They grow kind of like on a trellis. Well, he hadn't figured that out. And so the students came and they did all that. And now there's, now that there's a production underhand, underway of dragon fruit. Hmm. And we're going to see some in a, in a couple weeks. Oh, that's like the netting around dates, right? Exactly. Uh, f- f- my friend Warren Weber, great shout out, who operates Star Out Farms, has a few acres in the desert and mm-hmm. in the Coachella Valley. And he, he grows dates there. And they have these netting um, around the dates, so they don't use any pesticides, or that, you know, there's, it's yeah. a complete bug cover, and the dates grow out in that covered big kind of looks like a, a, a grape cluster, right? Yeah, sixty pounds, forty pounds, like all dates. Yeah, you got to protect same them thing from came the from a university, I believe, first to yeah. introduce that. Interesting. The same way with the dragon fruit that's got netting over it, not unlike blueberries. Otherwise, the birds come and attack mm. it, and, and it's oh, all, yeah. it's can all you, over. Can you blame him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, but <laughs> yeah. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just before we get off mangoes, because I think Earl, you brought up a good point that we don't consume as many mangoes in this country as a lot of other countries do. And part of that might be familiarity. And one thing that I run into with people who are not big on mangoes yet has to do with their accessibility to the fruit on the inside. They have not <laughs> figured out how to cut and eat a mango. And so everybody's got a different way of doing it. The way that I do it is I actually take a vegetable peeler and I peel the outside of the mango. And then I I feel the mango, or really I can just look at the mango and see which direction the pit is running. And I cut lengthwise on either side of that pit. And then I can basically just use my knife to you know shave off, because it's a curved pit. I can shave off all the pieces that are still attached to that central piece that I cut around. But I've got two halves mm-hmm. of whole big, beautiful pieces of mango that I can then slice or dice or whatever I'm going to use it for. So it, it, once I, I did this at a restaurant that I worked for in New York, it's what opened up mangoes to me, that I can do them at home now and enjoy them in salads and desserts and all kinds of things. Do you guys have a different technique for cutting mangoes? I've seen um, where you where you basically cut squares out of the mango and then you eat them out of the peel, yeah. so to say. It's so a little trickier because you don't know how deep you should go mm-hmm. because they, you know, the closer you get to the pit, the more pith or the more more fiber you get. I like your idea better, working from the outside in than the inside out. And but part, you, you can do it that way too. Part of what's difficult, at least for me, about eating a mango the way that you suggested it, uh-huh. where you pull the piece out and you eat it out of the peel, is that because they're so wide, they when you try and bite into it to remove it from the peel, you get so much mango around oh, your face. That. Which yes. you know no, that's the best part. Sure, you're if you're a mango man and you don't eat wear it alone. any makeup and you don't have to worry about wiping <laughs> it all off. Okay. <laughs> but Earl has a suggestion. Well, well to further explain what you were you're talking about it in terms of you you cut uh do you do mm-hmm. but i'll leave i leave the skin on uh-huh. so then what you have is two halves and then you score it checkerboard and then uh-huh. turn it inside out and then it pops up is that oh that's uh-huh. right yeah if you pop the skin yeah. inside out so to say yeah they all it looks like a porcupine they yes, all right all the pieces and then you can actually sh- you can actually shave each one of those squares with off a little and, paring knife and, and eat it you know that yeah. reminded me of one other thing that i've never tried that i hope maybe one of our listeners will try if you cut it the way that i suggested but leave the peel on like earl suggested then if it's a really ripe mango you could probably use a grapefruit spoon and just eat it out <laughs> of the peel with the spoon i love using yes. grapefruit spoons for we, all we kinds of things we have to do some research grapefruit. after the show 
mango. <laughs> so there's so 101 <laughs> ways to yeah. mango. There's one last way. When you get a very ripe mango, you, you massage it. You massage it, mm. making sure that the skin is, is intact. And then you you get it. It's got to be a, a fairly liquid. large one. Yeah. Almost liquid. You put a hole in it, and then you squeeze it out. <gasps> no, really? This is true. Now, you have to get a pretty sizable mango, which has enough meat inside. And then you just massage it. It gets very soft. You push push hole, and then you just kind of squeeze it out. I yeah, there are tree-ripened that. fruit that I have, um, have enjoyed. I don't know if it was a mango or not, but where kids sell produce that they got from the tree in the tropics, literally, and that's the same thing. They massage it or they roll it, and then they put a straw in it, and that's yeah. it, and you just drink it. Wow. Um, yeah. Some things become, and not just coconut, some things become so liquid that they actually, yeah. you know, you can actually suck them Instant out. Instant smoothie. Now that's a mango glow that you're referring to, too, when it gets all over your face. <laughs> yeah. That's a mango, mango glow. glow. The one that Sita has without mango right that's now. That's right. And I think you use a, a, a body wash with that, too, a, a polish, <laughs> a mango polish. Would that be perfect? Get perfect. Oh. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, when we talk about price, mangoes mm. uh, or, or any really any tropical fruit, because there was so much shipment and love and care and uh, attention paid to it, have a specific price. It's not the cheapest mm -hmm. fruit uh, you can possibly buy compared to an apple or a pear. So you don't want to ruin it. You don't want to buy a bad one, mm -hmm. whatever you may buy. You, you want to eat it right. And you, if you can't eat it right away or you buy a couple, you want to make sure that you store it accordingly. With bananas, I think most people know that you keep them separate. Mm -hmm. They release a certain gas. What about other tropical fruit? Yeah. Well, let's talk about mangoes. Yeah, walk, walk us through that. Yeah. You, first, as you're going through the department, you want to find something. I, 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 you want to go with the bigger one. It's been on the tree longer. It's, it's got a better opportunity to have full flavor and, and, and sugars. And so you want to... Pick one out that, that looks healthy. I mean, really, it's really kind of basic like that, and it's heavy for its size. So if it's a big one, it's going to be pretty heavy. And, make, and just inspect it and buy one and try it. I mean, it's for, when I said earlier, uh, uh, you know, this is something to explore about because it is a tropical fruit. And, and what you want to do is find a place, a store, a produce guy that he has... cuts a slice out of it, right? You always yeah. say that, and it seems like the golden rule for tropicals, absolutely, because but we just don't know enough. And, sometime, and, and a department, yeah, and department, a produce department is going to reflect the buyer quite often. So mm -hmm. if you can get a good, tr good tropicals, that's what that guy's probably, or gal is into, and so try them, and a lot of times give the feedback because a, produce, a good produce person wants to have good product, and he, he'll he'll respond to you, to your um, feedback. And when you get it home, then you you want on a, on a tropical piece of fruit, you want to be eating it right away. You want you don't want to buy it for next week. Now it will store fine out. You want to maintain very moderate temperatures on tropical fruit. We're talking about kind of fifty to forty eight to sixty degrees. So. In the counter, don't leave it out uh, outside where it's too hot. Refrigerator is going to kind of dull the flavor. Again, eat it at the room All temperature. Turns it also turns it black, right? If you put bananas in exactly. the fridge. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You can yeah, freeze bananas yeah. for smoothies later. Yes. But they will turn black too. But you know, if you yeah, I use them for smoothies, fine. Buy them to eat them. Uh -huh. That's the way mm -hmm. to go. Now, if you have something left over, you're not going to get to it, or, or you're going away for the weekend, then put it perhaps in the warmest part of your refrigerator or wrap it in, in, in a paper and, and store it in a place. 
so storing it for a long period of time is not good. I mean, that's, that's, that's the bottom line with the tropical piece of fruit. Mm-hmm. And again, with bananas having this gas that they, um, anything you put next to a banana, even a potato, would ripen more mm. just because, you know, the, the, the gas of the banana encourages that. Yep. Is that true for other tropical fruit as well, or is it really particularly the banana? Well, that it definitely is particular with banana and avocado. They ripen after their their oh, uh, avocados har- too. Yeah, they ripen after they harvest. Most everything else does not ripen after they harvest. So you wouldn't put an um, an avocado next to something that you don't want quite ripe yet. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You put like sometimes. Uh, I'll find avocados and oranges next to each other, and your and the oranges are just so they're quickening, they're ripening, their their skin's getting dried out, they're they're dehydrating, they're it's they're because ripening. Because you have mangoes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. avocados yeah, next and, to them. Because the avocado is highly respiratory. I mean, everything's respirating, but the avocado is generating. Avocados generate four times as much uh, gas than a banana does. An avocado. Four times. Wow. Yeah. Who would know? So, yeah, they ripen very qu- very quickly under the right circumstances. So, meaning if you have a piece of produce, for example, cherimoyas, which mm-hmm. when they become too ripe, they get, you know, almost fermented. But exactly. often in the stores, because of that, because they're afraid of, um, you know, offering something that's on the edge of fermentation, the cherimoyas are rock hard. And people often, when I buy a cherimoya, always I will get asked at the cash register, oh, what is this, and how are you going to eat it? <laughs> and how do you ripen it at home? Cherimoyas actually ripen beautifully at home. We, we do have our resident cherimoya uh, uh, experts speaking right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cherimoya. No joke. Yeah, really. No, I love them. And I, I think people eat them too ripe. I actually like them when they're kind of the chewing gum mm-hmm. feel to it. Like a, like a um, you know, just ripe avocado. Not too ripe, but just ripe. That's the, yeah. f- that's the pressure on a cherimoya. But it's a tropical fruit that actually ripens really well at home. You can bring it home pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And if you want to really speed it up, if you want to eat it the next day, they would usually take two, three days before they change their consistency significantly. You could put it into a bag with a banana Mm -hmm. or with an avocado. Oh, yeah. And overnight. Bingo. Yeah. The the other thing... Uh, in terms of when when are they ripe? You want, the first indicator I think is your nose, because you, you, a, a mango, a, a tropical fruit is going to be very fragrant generally. So use your nose. If you can smell it, it's ripening, mm-hmm. and and will turn fermented. That will be an overripe piece of fruit. You know, I realized as I was listening to you guys describe the experience of buying and eating each of these, I actually buy my avocados, my mangoes, and my cherimoyas all at the same feel of ripeness you know when i when i press it to see how much give i'm getting underneath the skin it's basically the same rule for each of them yeah that's very true and what you've developed is is that produce hand we like to call it huh. where, where you can distinguish something that oh yeah there's that feel and and it's hard to describe some people describe it as a as a tacky feel some people there's a little gentle give to it there's you know it's a very personal thing again that's that exploration with your food uh, check it out. And when you think, well, this is right, eat it then. Find out, ooh, a little early. Okay, now you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And obviously, our topic <laughs> of this hour is tropical fruit. We're here with Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market. For anything produce, really check out uh, earlsorganic.com or facebook.com forward slash earlsorganicproduce. Uh, amazing almost daily updates of the best of the best in the produce dock and within a day or so in your store really a good way to navigate the world of produce and save a pretty dollar of buying the right thing at the right time for the right price 
and uh, perhaps wait a couple of days if it's not the case. We will have more for you. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. And we're back here to an organic conversation, a tropical conversation this week as we are looking at what's in season with Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, what's going on in regard to tropical fruits. We talked about bananas and mangoes and how tricky these can be because they're coming from further away where a visit to the farmer next door is almost impossible, <laughs> even, so, even though some of your Team members, I'm sure, are dying to explore farms even half around the world. Oh, yes. But um, let's talk about one item that I think is incredibly expensive and worth the money if it's right. And so often, I would say more than half of the time, it's just not quite right. That's the pineapple. Um, it's yeah, yeah, it's hard to find. I mean, there are several tips of how to smell the bottom end or the stem end and Uh, still, you can, and, and it's one of those items where I always feel reluctant to ask the produce guy to just cut a pineapple open, an $8 piece of fruit sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But that seems like it's the only bulletproof way of doing it. What's your take yeah. on pineapples? Yeah, they're trouble. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're right. They're wonderful. And the, one, some of the great things are, I mean, they'll feed a family. Yeah. It's such an incredible amount. You can't eat one in one day. Yeah, it's, it's, too yeah, it's an amazing amount of fruit. Yeah. Um, again, it's it's something to explore uh, and, and kind of commit yourself to, if you will. And you're right. I've never found a foolproof. I'm talking about pulling uh, stems and mm -hmm. smelling and looking the at color, the color. Is it yellow or brown or which or, one? Or, or, or the eyes. Yeah. You know, the skin is made up of little uh Little compartments. If you look at them, they're they're called eyes. The development of the eyes. How how distinguished are they? How defined? I mean, all these things. I look at a, a number of things, and then I rely on my nose. I kid you not. <laughs> I once called Earl from the produce department because I was trying right. to pick out a perfect pineapple, and I was like, really. I need your help. I don't know. And he was like, man, girl, <laughs> I'll do my Smell best, it. but I can't promise you. Because it is there's there are so many factors to consider, and I don't think yeah. any one of them is 100% reliable. But your, your business yeah. is dependent on picking good ones yeah. and selling them to, you know, yeah. otherwise. The, so what do you do? Well, we look for heavy. Again, almost every piece of fruit should be heavy for its size. And again, you know, we're talking about the experts here, and, and, and they're, you're the Chiramoyan, and here's... Uh, Helga, with the produce hand, it mm. is really the, the 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 getting the feel of it. You uh -huh. do it enough, you go, yeah, that feels heavy. Even though, what are you comparing it to? Well, something in your DNA uh -huh. has got there. And then you you again, you look for a health. Is it dull? That's probably overripe. Is it does it not have a bright color? It's probably underripe. Uh, and also, I look for pieces of fruit that are just look robust. Again, it's kind of something you look at over a period of time. So I look for full fullness of the piece of fruit. If it's if it's widely tapered, I tend not to like that. I, What I does that mean, widely tapered? So a pineapple is is a column, if you will, right? Yeah, it has and these and, and it's a, a lot of times at the top, it tapers into the stem. Mm. If it's if it's greatly tapered, I think that's immature. But then on the other hand, here we go. I've had some that are tapered that taste great. So I have not found any. But I put all those things together. And then if it is fragrant, I feel really good about it. 
and, and then you, you jump in. The, the beauty of going through that <laughs> trouble for all of us, you as a wholesaler and, and us as a consumer and even as an educator right now in this moment, it's so worth it. When you have yes. the right piece of any kind of produce, but really when it comes to tro tropicals because it is such a novelty, It is unbelievable. It is really a flavor that most of the year you don't have, whether it's a passion fruit or a pineapple or a perfect mango. And I do want to say, and yeah. even if it's not perfect, you're, it's still yeah, yeah, darn close good. to, yeah, exactly. True. Yeah, I, I that's mean, true. And then when they're perfect, they just, they're mind-blowing. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, people say, you know, salads <laughs> in Greece taste different than a Greek salad here in, in, in yeah. the U.S., and that's true, of course. But exactly, if, if it's a really good piece of tropical fruit, it is unlike anything else that you like passion fruit or cherimoya yeah, yeah. there's nothing even close it doesn't you couldn't there's nothing you could pick where you say it's a little bit like like that mm. with the cherimoya for me there's nothing mm, in it yeah. this is it's its own entire world sita can you talk about the health benefits why in, in addition well, to flavor and bringing the tropics home but they have distinct properties that you basically only find um, in, in tropicals. One thing that I really take some comfort in when I buy pineapple is that I use every bit of the pineapple. You know, the, a lot of people, you peel your pineapple, you throw away the outside, you throw away the top and the bottom, and then you just, and you throw the, away the core once you've cut away all of that deliciously juicy fruit. I save all of that because actually the peel of pineapple, and, and this fact I'm pretty darn sure about, is the highest of any fruit or vegetable in bromelain, which is an amazing anti-inflammatory. So it's great to make a tea, basically, taking the peel of the pineapple, the core of the pineapple. I mean, I, I buy organic pineapple and, and I get a vegetable brush and I scrub really lightly the outside of the pineapple before I cut it. And then as I'm cutting it, I take the skin and I take the core and, and I take the base, not really the top. I don't really throw that in. I mean, I imagine you could, but it's harder to clean. So um, I, I just pop it right into a big so a big stock pot, basically. Fill it with water. Fill it with water. Simmer it until I can smell that pineapple smell in my kitchen. And it doesn't take very long. what do you long. do with that there, bromelain you know, infused it water? It depends. It depends. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes in the year you're buying pineapple when it's still really cold and you want something hot so you can drink a hot pineapple tea um, it's great if you want to add some slices of ginger to it because then it's it's got pineapple flavor and it's a little bit spicy wonderful if you have cramps wonderful if you're experiencing some pain in your joints because of the anti-inflammatory um, effect if it's warmer it's warmer climate and i'm buying pineapple then i use this um bromelain tea this pineapple tea take a bag of ice and throw it in and kind of dilute it and turn it into an iced tea and then I've got it's got a natural sweetness it's naturally tart it it is flavored like pineapple it's delicious and if you don't get through all of it you can pour the leftover pineapple tea into ice cubes and put it in your freezer then you can put those ice cubes in your smoothies you can use them for cocktails I do not worry about spending $8 on a pineapple and thinking there's a 50-50 chance that this is going to rock my world or it's going to be less than exciting, but I'm going to use every bit of it. <laughs> wow. I, I'm, I'm sold. That's fantastic. That pineapple tea is fantastic. It's it, delicious. It, it, yeah, it's a friend of ours does it every time. She cooks her own bromelain tea, and even if it's just one or two cups that you get out of it if you don't want to use all of it or it's a really expensive supplement if you bought it as a synthetic form or yeah, yeah. Even, even as a supplement form in the store 
pineapple is full of it. So that's really great. Mm-hmm. What were you saying? Uh, Thanks, sir. I, Thanks, sir. I, I, I think... Um, isn't it very high in uh, digestive enzymes too? Mm-hmm. Pineapple. Yes, the yeah. tropical fruits in general yeah, are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, vitamin C. I mean, you're eating a, sunlight. It's mm-hmm. really incredible. Yes. We're almost out of time, but I do want to give a shout out to if you want to pick the right ones and save some money doing it without throwing anything away, try them in the store and or follow Earl Herrig and Earl's Organic Produce through Facebook.com forward slash Earl's Organic Produce. They also have a really vibrant Instagram page mm. beautiful photos Susan of yes Susan mm-hmm. Simmons big yep. shout out and um, thank you Earl for coming in all the way to the studio oh it's my pleasure tropical. great drive not quite <laughs> as far as tropical fruits travel these days but <laughs> no hey <laughs> uh, it's great, great great to be here really great and all of you lovely listeners try some kind of tropical fruit and spend some time with it you know really think about the tropics that you may or may not see this year but that's where they were grown and that's where they were coming from and that's what you now have in front of you. So a tropical week for you here from an organic conversation. And I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll see you again next week. Take good care. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.